Welcome to the Guard Nation podcast, bringing you the most up-to-date and relevant information while you recruit and serve. First round, knockout, talk of the town on the block now, cash in, cash out, hands up, hand down. Hello recruiters and welcome to another episode of Guard Nation. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class Zipporah Baez from the great state of New York, and it's my pleasure to be with you today for a special episode. I'm currently working at National Guard Bureau, HRR, Marketing and Advertising Branch, Program Manager for NCSA, Creative Design Liaison for SRSC. We are actually, like many, making use of technology to come together in response to instructions for social distancing because of coronavirus. I just want to jump right into today's discussion around the highly anticipated recruiter incentive program. But before we do that, I want to introduce our guest, Captain Wesley Guisala who is the architect of the RIP program. Captain Grisala, tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks, Arbaez. Yeah, so I came to National Guard Bureau in July. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was a recruiting company commander. I've uh, been an on-campus recruiter and a street recruiter in my 15 or so years in now recruiting. Um, coming up into NGB, I really had one big focus, and that was trying to find a better way to support and incentivize the recruiters, and I got an opportunity to do that. So I'm really excited to kind of talk about what we were able to accomplish in about nine months since I've been at the National Guard Bureau today. Awesome. Thank you for that, sir. With that, uh, why don't we just go ahead and dive right into today's topic, the Recruiter Incentive Program. I know that the program has gone live, so I wanted to take some time to see how things are going with it and to see what you've seen so far. The first few questions are around the program itself and how it was built. Can you tell us why there are two treatments and why a certain state falls under one versus the other, A or B? Yeah, absolutely. So first I just want to give a little background. So at the inclusion of the original pilot in 2006 to 2008, which was wildly successful, um, we spent the National Guard Bureau, not me personally, but the National Guard uh, HR has spent since the time that program ended till now to try and get this program started again. And there's many roadblocks along the way, but when I came to the National Guard Bureau in July, we found a partner in the Office of Economic and Manpower Analysis, OEMA for short. Essentially, they're the economic professors over at West Point, and they became a huge cheerleader for us. So they're bossed over the Pentagon. Uh, got behind us and the uh, director of the Army National Guard to kind of get this pilot going, and they helped us develop the course of action, which turned into treatment A and treatment B. And the reason we had to do two treatments is because in order to get this program out of the field, there was something uh, at the Pentagon they wanted to study. And so going into treatment A, treatment A really focuses on a similar model to what the original program was, focusing on a higher incentive model up front, the reason you see true to be with the three years out there is really to focus on the longevity of recruiters. So the average lifespan of recruiter is, is 1.6 years, 1.7 years, and that's, that's not a sustainable model. We spend so much time hiring and training recruiters that if we had a incentive structure that was specifically for the recruiters for a mission-based incentive to entice them to stay, then uh, we would spend less time training, less more hours from your NCIC to your first sergeant to your commander all the way up to your training NCIC and more focused on just simply recruiting. 
So looking at treatment B, uh, and some people think that it's the, it's the worst treatment. You know, I've heard a lot like, oh, man, why am I in treatment B? Why can't we all be in treatment A? I would say this. Let's say, being a former recruiter, I crush it. I 125% of my mission, 150% of my mission, I'm doing awesome. Two or three years down the road, I'm having a rough year. But I'm in contact with my recruits. I got into a training pipeline. Uh, they're in the unit. They're successful. The, I'm still going to receive that incentive payment three years down the road, whether my recruiting year that, that same year is doing awesome or not. So if you kind of think about it in that model, and I know we're in a what have you done for me lately. I'm, you know, I know you listened to somebody yesterday, but who are you listening to tomorrow? But you got to be able to take treatment B in mind that it's, it's both a right now incentive and a future incentive. And we kind of are studying that to see does it have any effect on keeping our first-term obligors in the service? Does it have any effect on keeping our recruiting NCOs uh, in recruiting? Well, thank you for that, sir. Great response. Great information. Well, I know that this is a pilot program. Can you talk to us about why it is so important that this program succeeds and what happens if recruiters do not opt into the program? So really we're looking for the long-term game with this program. So the program before, in 2006-2008, was, was highly successful. The, the follow of that was the incentives were so great that it wasn't sustainable. So we, when we restructured this program, we looked to find a way to match the incentive ability to be sustainable, uh, also having it uh, with enough incentive behind it to actually motivate the behaviors and the recruiters, and also create a, a sense of uh, wanting to be in recruiting because of the incentive. Um, so having as many people opt in the program will maximize the data that we can pull together for this one-year pilot. And that way we can prove to uh, the people above us that it was successful. So minimal participation gives us minimal data points. You know, the more people that participate, the more success we have. Well, sir, can you give us a little background on how this was built as a talent management initiative and how it is similar to what other organizations in the civilian sector are doing. Yeah, so the Army came out with this big talent management initiative. It's kind of like the buzzword right now. But the National Guard is the first to really act on it. So when we went into the development process, we actually developed the program working with Big Army. Uh, we were actually the first ones to get out to the field. and. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make the program uh, a uh, financially and fundamentally prestigious assignment. So we want recruiters and recruiting to be seen not just as, you know, hey, I get my ASTAP, a um, couple hundred extra bucks a month to go do the most difficult job in the Army, but more as a position that you will be rewarded um, for the hard work you do. You know, I've heard, you know, well, you're going to pay people to do their job. Well, their job is difficult. Probably the most difficult job in the military is being a recruiter. So how can we compensate that? On, on the other part of that, once you get a recruiter that is successful, that has been able to make mission, exceed mission, et cetera, how do we keep them within the force to continue to do that job? You know, and similar in, in sales and civilian sector, uh, you get incentivized for meeting your quotas. Uh, you get incentivized for overdriving your quotas. 
and it makes you want to stay in the position because you know you're going to make more money based on the work you're doing. So we wanted to see if we could take and merge that model uh, in the civilian world and put it into a, a military recruiting world. And so that is why that you get paid for every single recruit. So it's not a threshold you have to meet. You don't have to enlist four to get the next four. We want to ensure that every recruit that qualifies is, is incentivized for the recruiter, uh, you know, because we're looking for those high-quality enlistments where we're looking for recruits that will come into the service and stay for longer periods of time. Um, and so by uh, using this model, uh, we hope that that's kind of uh, behavior and uh, the structure that we're forming for the future of the force. That's great information. That's, that's taking care of the recruiter. Well, I understand that RIP is not a team concept program. Can you go into a little detail about why it was built this way? Yes, so this is, a, this is the hard part about getting the program approved, uh, mostly because of the fallout of everything that happened in GRAP. So the data and the metrics that we're looking for is based on individual success. So um, your mission is your mission, not a team mission. So that, that's hard in some areas where uh, officers may come together and do different parts of the process. But to ensure that we're um, building confidence in our ability as an organization to incentivize a program uh, down to the field and do it with the proper um, measures in place that, that we're not going to have to deal with any of the fraud uh, or abuse from, from previous programs, we decided that we'll put it in place in a way where it's specific to each recruiter, their mission, and uh, their payment specifically. Great response. Well, continuing with a bit of discussion about the individual recruiter, I wanted to focus the next few questions on how this program will affect our folks in the field. First, one question we're hearing from the field is if this program will affect bonuses, SAP, or AIP. Can you give some insight into that, sir? Yeah, so great question. Uh, I've seen this one flying around a little bit too. This is a standalone program. So if you receive SDAP or AIP, uh, it does not affect it at all. Uh, if you had a recruiter bonus, it doesn't affect it at all. This program is specifically a pilot for recruiter incentive. And additionally to that, you know, you're not going to incur any um, additional service obligation for opting into the program. Really, you know, we're looking at uh, a additional incentive on top of what already exists to further support the recruiters in the field for, for the work that they're doing. Got it. Lastly, the big question people are wondering is how much they can really make in a one-year pilot. So, Captain Glissala, can you show us the money? How much? Yeah, so this was one that I think everyone's going to like. So we originally um, designed this for a one-year program, and the restrictions of the program were capped at 8000 a year. Now, obviously, if we move further on, we hope to increase that incentive. But uh, what we decided to do is align this program with the funding year. So the funding year runs January through December. So because of that, and now we started at 1 April, there's actually going to be two funding years. So once you opt in, uh, the first funding year runs from now until December, so you can earn up to $8,000 during that time period. And then the second funding year kicks in, which will be 
uh, January through the end of the pilot. Now, moving forward in the pilot, uh, it'll be that, that year cycle. But during our pilot program, there's an opportunity to make up to $16,000. Wow. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thank you so much, Captain Gustala, for joining us today. We are excited to get this news out to the field. For any pay problems with RIP, recruiters can visit Recruiter Incentive Pay Meal Suite page or email ngb.rip.team.mil at mail.mil. Thanks to our listeners for joining us in Guard Nation today. Stay safe and healthy and stay tuned for another episode. First round, knockout, talk of the town on the block now, cash in, cash out, hands up, hand down, ooh, I'm ooh, to me, you can't move to me, I hit him with that new Japan, I'm a writing, yeah.